It is great to see you all this morning. And I'm going to reiterate the announcement I made that if you're sitting in the back, I need you to come to the table. Uh, And if you feel that you don't know anybody at the table, respectfully, that's the point. Um, That's the point. We, We do not want to isolate ourselves or distance ourselves unless you are you you don't want to come for for medical concerns i'll respect that but the point is for us to interact uh as we go along through this sermon so for those of you that are online thank you for joining us once again and uh, when we break into our round tables feel free to stay connected though you it will be focusing somewhere around here on, on one of these tables, but you feel feel free to connect with us online. We do we are monitoring our our Facebook channel, our Instagram channel, and if you like to chime in with a comment here and then, uh, we will acknowledge that and and we will uh, respond to it as well. So thank you for joining us this morning. And again, this is this is not uh, has not been the norm for us, but I'm hoping that this does become the norm. I'll be very open with you because I believe that this provides an opportunity for us to interact during the service rather than just sit and hear. You will hear a little bit, and so we're going to, as I begin with this morning's uh, sermon, which is a condensed uh, sermon, with the intention to bring us to a talking point uh, about Easter and what we are just celebrating. So before I begin, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray one more time. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to come to you this morning, the day before we, 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 the, the Christian world celebrates the, the rising of your Son. And, and Father, we pray that as we open our Bibles and we start to see some of these things that you have laid out for us, Open our hearts and our ears and our eyes to see you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you, if you have a Bible with you or a phone in your Bible, to open it to the book of Acts. Chapter 12. And to... To give you a quick synopsis, and let me share with you the story that we find in Acts chapter 12 to kind of just paint the background real quickly of what the story is, and we're going to dive into the story a little bit deeper. So the story in Acts chapter 12, we find that Peter and James are, have been arrested. They have been arrested by King Herod. The name sounds familiar, right? But it's not the King Herod who who tried Jesus, nor is it the King Herod who uh, persecuted the firstborn males during Jesus' time as a baby when he was born. These are different, but they're all related. Herod the Great is the, the man who made the edict, who made the law to go and find the baby males that were born and to kill them. And then... Um, Herod Agrippa is the uncle of the Herod that is mentioned here. He's the one who tried Jesus. And and here we have Herod who now imprisons both Peter and James. 
So in chapter 12, we, we are told that James actually is killed by the sword. The detail of the story is that it happened right at Passover, right at the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread was customarily celebrated right after Passover. When we look back and last night we saw that uh, the, the Feast of, of Passover was something that Jesus wanted to share with the disciples because he, as the Bible says, he earnestly desired to be with them. So here we find, and let's open to the very first four verses of this chapter, and we find here, now about that time, Herod the king scheduled or stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to further to seize Peter also. What a messed up bunch of people. To see one of their own being killed and imprisoned. And because that brought popularity votes, he went further. And it doesn't end there. It says, now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So, do you begin to see some of the similarities of what's taken place here? The timing of it, Passover, when we go back to Jesus' trial, it was during the Passover week, it, and the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was about to take place. But he, he kind of wanted to, he didn't want to take things too far, but let, let's let the Passover season end. Why? Why do you believe that, do you think that Herod, he already killed one of the disciples, now he's going to wait until the feast is over. Last night, we were reminded that during Passover, it's one of the high times in the Jewish calendar. Actually, there are three pilgrimages that most male Jews would make throughout the year. Three times they would come to Jerusalem. Passover was one of them. And during Passover, there was a, a, a sentiment of the expectation that the possible Messiah would come. And, and as any astute political figure would probably understand, Passover is happening right there and then. Peter is, is one of the church's newfound leaders. And why wouldn't he wait until everything is kind of like subsided to then proceed with either the killing of Peter, potentially, or a prolongment of his imprisonment. And so there, there's so many political things going on in the background. But when we read this story and find it, its occurrence and the timing of it, we have to remember 
why this is shared at this time. So we know that the, the uh, disciple Luke, he wrote the book of Acts as well as the book of Luke. And as he writes this, he is intentional about sharing the timing of this arrest. Not, not the arrest of itself, but when it fell and how it fell in the calendar year. So what is the Passover? We, those of us that speak English as a second language and come from a, a Latin-based environment, the word for Passover in the, in the Greek is the word Pascal. And I'm saying that because if you speak a Latin-based uh, language, the, the word that we use to, for Easter is the word Pasqua, which comes from the Greek Pascal, which has nothing to do with the Easter and the origin of Easter that we understand in the English language. See, the Greek took, when they translated, when they translated the Hebrew to the Greek, the Old Testament into the Greek, they took the word Passover, which means literal a pass over the people, they translated as Pascal, because at Passover there would be a sacrifice, a sacrifice that would reminisce what God would do in the future. I'll come back to that in just a little bit. But now, Herod has stretched out his hand. But what happened in the book of Exodus? Right? In Exodus, there's a parallel with Exodus, and there's three parallels I want to bring out with you, to you this morning. Number one, in Acts chapter one, it says, now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church of God. When we look at this context in the book of Exodus, Moses appears before God, before the burning bush, and here's what God, now this is Jesus being personified in that burning bush, and he says to Moses, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Herod is, is reaching out, is beginning to oppress the people of God. And here in Exodus, you have God saying, I have heard my people cry, and I know their affliction. The word afflict here in the Old Testament is the same word that is being utilized in the Greek New Testament. And so when, when Luke's hearers hear this, they can start to see the resemblance and the similarities between both occurrences of what was taking place with the early Christian church, now with, that had taken place with his people back in Exodus, at the time where they celebrated the deliverance of Passover. That's parallel number one. Parallel number two. Stretched out his hand, right? We saw this earlier. But look at Exodus chapter three. Verse 8 says, So I have come down to deliver them from out of their hand. Languages that are familiar to those who are reading and, and to those that Luke is intentionally writing this to. I know your affliction. 
God sees your affliction. And I'm going to come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. But the story, you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, where is God delivering? So let let me rewind here just a little bit. What happens is later in the story, if you read verses 5 all the way down to, I believe it's 12, Peter is imprisoned. And he begins to pray. Now, there's a squad of guards. In other words, Herod doubled the guards that were supposed to be there normally. Something happened miraculously. Peter was delivered. An angel came and delivered Peter. The chains were loosened and fell off like they just dissolved or disintegrated. And Peter walked out of prison and when he went to meet his, his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, he knocked. And there was this young lady who, who heard the knock and went and asked, who is it? And Peter says, it's me. It's Peter. She was so excited because they were having a prayer meeting inside the house for the protection of Peter and the deliverance of Peter, that she left him at the front door to tell everybody that wasn't say, hey, Peter's at the door. And the people that were praying for her, for, the, for him, said, you're crazy. He's not at the door. He's in prison. No, 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 no. Listen, Peter's at the door. She had to convince them. She tried to beg him, come. Until finally they said, fine, go call. So she goes back and calls Peter. And when Peter shows up, they're just astonished. So when this text comes back, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, says, Oh, I have come down to deliver them. The, the language here, I believe, is it's in, in verse 7 of chapter 12. It says, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and the light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hand. He came to deliver him out from his bondage, out from his prison. So look at parallel number three. Acts 12, 17. And it says, But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. The Lord had brought him out. Look at this. In, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. The parallelism with deliverance and, and saving is clearly evident in this chapter when you compare it with the story of Israel's deliverance in Exodus chapter 3. It is based on on these parallels. That we come to where we find ourselves today. See, when you look at the story of Passover, the people were in bondage of sin. The sin because they were enslaved. When we look at ourselves today, many of us look, look, look at ourselves and say, but we have committed sin. 
we are connected, we are tied to a world where we live in a sinful state. There is none of us here who is perfect. Amen. That was your cue. None of us here are perfect. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to be sinless, you will never be sinless. Because you've already committed sin. However, this story of the Passover reminds us that they look forward to something that was about to happen in the future. And as we saw last night, the story of Exodus reminds us of, of our condition where we are presently looking forward to, to something that God will do. We are right now captive to sin because we live in a world of sinfulness. But then when we look to the story, we are reminded that we are saved by grace. Peter had absolutely nothing to do with his chains being loosened. It was a sheer act of grace alone. And in the same way that God provided for his people to leave Exodus, it was a sheer act of God's grace alone. And when Jesus died on the cross, to save us from our sins, it was a sheer act of grace alone. The third aspect of this is that, to me, the most profound parallelism. In Acts chapter 12, we already see that James, the brother of John, had already been killed we see in the story of Exodus that a lamb had to be slain. And then we fast forward to the time of Jesus that the Paschal lamb, the lamb that was represented in the Easter, in, in, in the Passover sacrifice that was emulated and that was put on that cross as Jesus, the Paschal lamb, he was sacrificed, but he rose. Death will die. So much so, when Peter re received or re reached that house, his message was, go tell John what has happened. This is now where I turn the sermon over to you. And I'm going to ask you three questions. And the first question will be that I'm going to give some time there will be some light, really soft music in the background just to kind of fill the, the, the void. But here's the question I want to ask you that I need, I would like for you to interact. And again, if you're sitting in the back, this is why it's important for you to come to the table. Here's the question. Question number one. What is something important in your life that you have been ignoring for far too long? You're asking, well, why does this matter? Because in the context of salvation, in the context of spirituality, in the context of where you find yourself, is there an area in your life right now that God is telling you, you need to address this? I'm not asking you to reveal what that is, but talk about it. Is, 
what is something important in your life that you have been ignoring for far too long? Floor is yours. It's great to see your you engaging. And uh, I'm sure there are you are only sk- skimming the surface. You're only skimming the surface. But one thing is clear is that as you start to begin to look at some of these things, it's only the tip of the iceberg. You begin to identify other areas too, right, that needs to be addressed. Is there a brave soul that would, would not mind sharing? All right, Susan, uh, Maya has a microphone there for you. Something that's important in my life that I've been ignoring is how the devil may work in my life, Mm. how Satan may come in in little ways, and I won't acknowledge that that's Satan. I acknowledge that it's me in my head, and I have to rebuke him. I have to understand how to do that and not give him any credibility. Okay. All right, Uh, somebody else? Would like to venture, okay, over here. Marco, you're next. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> yes, for me, it is, um, I work at night, you know, and sometimes I end up working six days for the week. I work 11 to 7, and... It bothers me about the Sabbath. I want to keep the Sabbath the right way. And I realize that I've been robbed of that. I want to be true to God. Coming to church on the Sabbath is not enough for me. I want to honor God's request. He said, from sunset to sunset, do this. And I want to keep the Sabbath the right way because I want to be blessed. Mm. Because there is a blessing in keeping the Sabbath the way God wants us to keep it. Amen. So please pray for me. Amen. Thank you. Our ne- the next question I want to share for you guys to go back. And um, we're doing pretty good on time. So can we, we, um, we'll give you a little bit more time to talk. But given the fact and the understanding that when we look at, when we see these parallels taking place in the Bible, when we look at the story of Exodus, and we look at the story of, uh, of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and we look at what happened to Peter during this same time, and we see these parallelisms taking place, what does Easter mean to you traditionally? And what would you like it to mean? Let me, let, let me share something for you, with you, because I don't, you have not heard me share from up here 
But my wife and I were discussing and talking about this this week, where I grew up not celebrating the rising of Jesus. We kept Passover, and because usually it fell on a Thursday night to Friday, or, or so we have Sabbath, we would have communion on Sabbath. But I also mentioned last night that it were it not, and Paul talks about this, were it not for the resurrection, we would not, we wouldn't be here. Right? So my wife asked me the question, is like, why don't you celebrate Sunday as much? And I'm, the re- let me rephrase that so, so all of us are on the same page. Why don't you celebrate the resurrection as much? And I, don't, I was like, I don't know. So what does Easter mean to you? Traditionally. And what would you like it to mean? Have fun. Darkness closes in, Lord. Still I will say. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. There are... Lots of, man, I, I was really having fun engaging in a conversation with this table back here in the, uh, in, in the corner. Um, some really interesting perspectives. Anybody would like to share? Go ahead, Ashley. I don't have to, do I, st- okay, I'll stand it. Um, I pr- <laughs> we were talking about how traditionally as a Seventh-day Adventist church, we don't do a good job celebrating the resurrection, Resurrection Sunday, because it is a Sunday day that he was resurrected. However, Christianity was based on the resurrection. And for us as Seventh-day Adventists, I mean, I, was, I grew up in this church. We never celebrated or had a Sunday service to celebrate the biggest day of our religious ideas. And, um, you know, we were talking as a group that, you know, all of the one weekend out of the year, whether we had Friday, Saturday, Vespers, and then a Sunday service, where one weekend out of the year we celebrate and really celebrate the new covenant that God sent his only son to die on the cross mm. to be raised again for our sins and for us not to recognize that as a community on Sunday, the day that he resurrected, not changing our our ideology, not changing, we are Sabbath worshipers because we believe in the Sabbath, but that one weekend out of the year to really celebrate the promise and the new covenant, I think I'd like that to change. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's what we were talking about. Cool. All right. Anybody else would like to give a, a perspective? We have over here in the, in the back, Maya. Raise your hand, please, so she can see. If you've already spoken, sorry, Angela, if you've already spoken, I'm trying to get different perspectives, but thank you. <laughs> Good morning, church. Well, on our table, we agreed that um, uh, Easter to us is um, 
the resurrection is victory or second chances. Mm. And we also thought about the fact that um, we have to tie in three different things here because Christmas, God came, Christ came for us, and then he died for us, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's Easter, and he rose again from, 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 from death. And now we are awaiting his return. Okay? And then he did say that um, I go to prepare a place for us. If I go to prepare that place, I'm going to come back and receive you into myself. And so we have those two things that happen, and we're waiting for the next one, which is the return of Jesus Christ. Mm. Cool. All right. Right next to you, Maya. Hi. Um, as my sister said, buckle your seatbelts. Um, Hold it close to you, Maya. Yeah, thank you. I've been out of the church for probably 35 years, so I've just been back for a couple months. So I've had a chance to relook at everything. Welcome home. Thank you. Um, a lot, when I look at Easter, the, the impression I had before, Christ lived his life, he died, and God raised him from the dead. Is that pretty much what everybody, okay? I don't think that's the case at all. Um, mm -hmm. Christ himself said, the Father gave me the power to lay down my life and to pick it up again, okay? What's the divinity of Christ? How can Christ be divine if he doesn't have that? You take the death on the cross, when he died, he said, it's done. He bowed his head, he died. There was no reason for him to die. The cross was a long and agonizing death. It took breaking the legs of the people on either side of him for them to suffocate. So he laid down his life on his own, said, enough, it's over, it's down. And I believe on Sunday, I don't think God spoke from heaven and say, Jesus, get up. I think he said his angels, they rolled away the stone and told him, it's time. He raised his eyes, opened his eyes, because he's divine. Mm. Even though he's dead, he still had that power in him. Mm. And he got up, and the rest is history. There, there, are, there are some things that we just cannot comprehend. And, and I think that's one of those, is the mystery of God's Trinity, Trinity, and and Jesus, uh, fully human, fully divine. We will never understand that fully. Let's be honest. And it is mind blowing thinking that somebody has the power to just undead themselves, right? Like, okay, has the power to, to, to give, to take away life, and to come back to life. These are, the kind of, these are the kind of things that when we begin to think about and process, would probably spur a difference on how we look at some of these things. And probably we don't, as Ashley mentioned, we don't do it justice by not spending enough time on it. But our time is advancing. I want to move on. Our next question is, what does the promise of the resurrection morning mean to you? I'm, we're going to close with this. Uh, this question. 
and then we'll close our, our morning service. What does it mean to you? I can, I can tell you that the closer, the closer I see death affecting those that are near to me, the more I look forward to the future resurrection day. But each and every one of us here has a different story of why this is important. Five minutes. All right. We're winding down as we're getting into a close. I want to take a couple. Anybody would like to share what the promise of the resurrection morning means to you? Nobody. That's fine. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, just hold on to Go ahead. Hello. Okay. Um, so we were saying that um, the <laughs> resurrection, it, it, it brings hope, you know, like that even if we are to die tomorrow, like there's still more to come. This isn't just it. Um, sorry, I'm having a brain. I just forgot. I was going to add more to that, but yeah. Oh, you said it all. Huh? You said it all. Yeah, there's more I wanted to say, but okay, <laughs> yeah, there's hope. It gives you hope, okay? One more. It gives you hope. Okay, Maya in the back. To me, it just simply means what Christ said about himself is true. Mm. His rising is the proof. His rising says he can forgive my sins. His rising says he can send the spirit into my life and help me live what I need to live. His rising allows me to live without guilt, without fear, and without regret. Amen. Amen. Amen.